Hi, it's Raja, and this is part four of the podcast series with relation to the RACGP exams with a specific focus on the KFP. Um, I was talking uh, about the AKT and OSCE in my last podcast, which I'll talk about um, in this one. Just prior to getting onto that topic, though, um, there is one other concept that I'd like to install um, for the KFP that you need to be aware of. And that is this concept called grouping. Um, so what is grouping? Well, grouping is when the candidate writes um, multiple answers on various lines from the same group, which can potentially be considered as one mark. The best way to highlight this would be to use an example. So if you had a patient that came in with chest pain, and if the candidate was asked to give a list of differential diagnoses, um, if the candidate were to write acute myocardial infarction, angina, maybe myocarditis or endocarditis, and they're all different diagnoses on different lists, the risk that the candidate is facing now is because they're from the same group of cardiac conditions or the group being cardiac diagnoses, then there's a potential risk that the candidate will be given only one mark for those four different answers. Now, this is where I think the RACGP can potentially do some work on their transparency because what is grouping and what is not can sometimes be quite arbitrary and there is no clear definitions. In the past, I would often advise candidates to uh, write differential diagnosis using a category and then using brackets and using an example of a diagnosis from that category. So to give you an example would be if you have a patient that did present with fatigue and they're middle-aged and they're female, the candidate, what I would often recommend the candidate to do would be pick a category. So let's pick a hormone category. So I'd write hormone and then in brackets, I'd write example menopause and bracket close. The second answer might be endocrinological and in brackets, it'd be example type 2 diabetes mellitus. The third category might be autoimmune and the example might be something like SLE or rheumatoid arthritis. Now, the reason why I used to recommend that to candidates is because essentially you can't group conditions together because you're only providing one example from that particular category. Now, the RACGP more recently have expressly warned candidates not to do that. So do not use categories and do not use examples. If you want to write lupus, then write SLE. If you want to write diabetes, then write type 2 diabetes. If you want to write menopause, then write menopause. Don't do the categorical things. Um, don't put examples in. So just write the answer down directly. Now, the advantage of doing that is that you're locking yourself into being more specific. The disadvantage of doing that is you can unknowingly group conditions together um, and therein lies the complexity. So unfortunately, that strategy of using categories and using examples has gone out the window. So you can't do that anymore. Um, and be aware that grouping is definitely a risk. It's an unknown risk. It's not measurable. It's not something that RACGP disclosed, and it is can be quite frustrating for the candidate. 
So, unfortunately, I don't have any specific way of advising candidates to sort of use specific techniques, except to say that grouping is a risk, try and avoid it and understand what it is. And that is to mention multiple issues from the same category of information. Okay. Um, another example of grouping with respect to management might be if you wrote multiple types of analgesia. So if you wrote the analgesic ladder starting from paracetamol, next answer being ibuprofen, third answer being maybe tramadol, fourth answer being opioids such as targin or oxycodone. Because all of it is categorized as analgesia, you might only get one mark. Okay, so, um, you know, I could go on with using multiple such examples of where you might be penalized for grouping. So be aware of that. It's something that can really bite you in the end. So you might walk out of the exam thinking that you filled all the spots, but some of the spots might actually be worth zero marks because you've been penalized for grouping. Okay. I recommend you ask your medical educators uh, about grouping and these risks. Also recommend to ask examiners if you do attend any of the RACGP workshops. Things may have changed, but as far as I'm aware, and this is in 2017, um, I don't think that particular risk has been completely eradicated. Right, before I finish the series of podcasts, um, I think it's worthwhile discussing uh, about the AKT and the OSCE. The AKT is basically whether you know the answer or not. It's based on clinical scenarios. But the biggest technique that I would say is worthwhile to consider is make sure you read the question properly and pick the answer that jumps to your mind first up because nine times out of ten that's going to be the answer that's going to be the correct answer a lot of candidates you know I'm an R and they second guess themselves and they think about it and they overthink about it and sometimes actually write the right answer but then they change it at the very last minute um, I've had some very tragic stories from candidates who felt that they've actually lost marks as a result of that which has resulted in an overall fail. So be very careful. I would always say go with your gut instinct, particularly for the EMQ questions, because you have, you know, multiple options to select from. And sometimes, you know, reading the scenario, if, you know, if, if you've got a patient that presents with a sudden onset headache, which is thunderclap, they've got photophobia, neck stiffness, you know, it, that sounds like a subarachnoid, write it down. If they had a fever, that sounds like a meningitis, write it down. Okay, so make sure you pick the first answer that comes to your mind. Now, that's pretty much it for the AKT. Um, you will find that you'll finish the AKT a lot quicker. Um, for some odd reason, and I don't know, the AKT is four hours long, the KFP is three and a half hours long. Personally, I would prefer it the other way around. I think the KFP is more challenging, requires more time. But I think the RACGP um, have a four-hour time limit for the AKT because it's more verbose. You need to read a lot more. And if English is not your first language, then you're at a disadvantage. So I think this sort of um, assists those um, candidates. Um, but I could be wrong as to the reasons why. But I, I personally would prefer the other way around. But each to their own, depending on the candidates. Now, a bit about the OSCE. The biggest thing about the OSCE is don't be a robot. At the end of the day, you're trying to demonstrate in practice that you're a safe, independent, knowledgeable GP that's competent to practice safely anywhere in Australia. Be empathetic. Listen to the patient. Don't just hear. 
Hearing means that you're sort of hearing what they're saying, but listening means you're understanding what they're saying, you're processing it, and then your reaction to that, your counter-arguments to that, your counter-questions to that is relevant and contextual. Time management is an absolute killer. Speak to any OSCE candidate. They will probably say to you that the eight-minute stations are very, very difficult. The 19-minute stations are not too bad because you've got a gauge as to how the time goes through. So the first eight minutes in a 19-minute station um, is going to be the eight-minute bell for the other short cases. And then when the bell goes again, it's going to be another three minutes. So you know you're up to 11 minutes because that's the reading time for the other short stations. And then the third bell, which is the 19-minute station, is when you move across, and that's going to be the other candidates moving in uh, between the short, um, short, short cases. Okay, so time management is really critical. The best way to practice for an OSCE is latch on to a good buddy, uh, a good family member, and practice, 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 practice. Use your patience as practice. I routinely recommend candidates do not take any leave prior to the OSCE. Maybe if you want to take leave, maybe take a day or two. Don't take a week or two because you need to be able to get into the rhythm of practicing. Um, and I would recommend using um, OSCE books. There's GP Registrar OSCE books. There's um, Susan Wern's OSCE book and a few other ones, AMC OSCE books even might be useful but there's no point reading these OSCE books you need to get in there and practice and you need to get your colleagues to criticize you and personally when I practiced I practiced with my wife um, and the reason I did that is because you know often I found my wife who's not medically trained would say to me that um, you know I wasn't quite nice doing the OSCE she felt rushed so those sort of things that you might not get feedback from from medical people, you can actually get from non-medical people, whether it's your brother or sister who's a, who, who, who doesn't have a medical background or a family member or a friend. I think it's also useful to practice with doctors, but also non-doctors as well. Now, it's really important in the OSCE to introduce yourself. I know it sounds crazy basic, but the candidate that comes in doesn't introduce themselves and fumbles their labels. You know, it's not a great look. Make sure you always ask for consent before examining and make sure you warn the patient if they do feel uncomfortable or any pain that you're willing to stop and have a clear structure for the OSCE. So if you're going to examine someone, start with general inspection. If you're going to ask a history, start with general questioning and you'd find that listening to the patient and allowing the patient to tell their story is all that you need to do for most of the OSCE because they'll tell you the answer if appropriate questions are asked. Try not to be routine and ask specific questions, bang, 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 because sometimes in the OSCE, it doesn't work. Make sure you thank the patient for their time. Thank the examiner for their time, especially after examining the patient. Explain the condition. Be very specific in the OSCE. The OSCE is similar to the KFP and the AKT. You've got to be extremely specific. You can't just waffle on and be non-specific. So I wouldn't use terms like inflammatory bowel disease. I'd say it's Crohn's or ulcerative colitis. I wouldn't use terms like heart attack. I would say non-STEMI or STEMI, okay? Make sure that you don't forget about preventative medicine. So when you see a patient in real life, think about what is the patient's agenda. For example, hi, doctor, I feel unwell. I've had a bit of gastro. Um, can I please have a medical certificate? What is your agenda? Well, you need to take a full history, perform a full examination, do observations, and then come to a conclusion which hopefully is the same as what the patients decided themselves. Don't just give them a medical certificate without examining them and send them out the door. And the third thing 
is what is the overall agenda. The overall agenda might be this patient might be a smoker. They might be an alcoholic. They might be um, uh, getting gastroenteritis because they're a recent traveler. So it's really important to take that extra bit of time and try and counsel them about preventative medicine. So, hey, next time you go overseas, come back and see me so that I can provide you with specific travel information. Hey, I notice you're a smoker. Have you thought about quitting? Hey, I notice you take more than two standard drinks of alcohol a day. Have you thought about reducing it? Maybe we haven't checked your liver function. Maybe we should do that, okay? Or, hey, look, you're between the age of 45 and 49, and I think you might qualify for a diabetic risk assessment. So these are all opportunistic things that you would do in your general consultation, and you should try and do them in the OSCE as well. When ordering investigations, don't just rattle off investigations randomly. Be very, very contextual, okay? So, and have specific structures about how you'd order the investigation. And completely fine in the OSCE to say to the patient, you don't know the answer to their question. But you need to know where to look for that answer. Now, if you don't know answers to basic questions in the OSCE, you're in trouble. But if you don't know specific adverse reactions to specific drugs, and those adverse reactions are rare, then it'd be completely appropriate to say to the patient and turn to the examiner and be very clear that I don't know the answer to this now. Do you have access to the MIMS book so you can have a look? Remember, the examiner is looking for a candidate that is wanting to do medicine in a safe and independent way. Examiners are not there to fail candidates. They are GPs themselves, and dare I say, they don't know everything in life themselves. So, you know, examiners generally would understand that if this is something that's not common and it's out of the box a little bit, it'd be completely appropriate for the candidate to seek those answers in the appropriate websites or um, textbooks, etc. And how many times have you had patients appreciate the fact that you've told them you don't know the answer to their question? Hey, let's look it up together. Let's find out together. Remember, the patient-doctor journey is all about learning. So, you know, the worst thing you can do in real life is actually make up an answer because patients don't appreciate that. That sort of concludes the podcast series. Um, hope that sort of answers a lot of questions that you might have. If you have any questions, like I said um, in previous podcasts, feel free to post them online at the GP registrars for FRAC GP group. Uh, I will try and help you as much as I can. There are other administrators that will try and help you as much as they can. But more importantly, there are members there who have sat exams in the past who have passed and are very willing to help. And I really appreciate those members for their input. Meanwhile, um, you know, continue studying, uh, continue preparing. With the exams, it's all about practice, have a measured approach, have a structured approach. And there are a few key basic principles that every candidate should follow in order to pass these exams. Um, I might catch up with you on Facebook um, or maybe catch up with you if you do my KFP prep workshops uh, online via KFP online. Um, I hope you found them very useful and I hope you found this podcast very useful. Thank you.